0: Hey, this is noah levine founder of against the stream refuge recovery and dharma punks thanks for tuning in to the podcast i hope you're enjoying the dharma together may we create a positive change on this planet if you feel moved to leave a donation there's a link in the show notes may our paths cross soon welcome everybody Can everybody at home hear me okay? I'm having some audio trouble on my end hearing you, but that's okay as long as you can hear me for now. How many people here for the first time tonight? Some new faces, welcome. Welcome to anybody joining us on Zoom for the first time. Welcome back to everyone else that's here. against the stream this is the weekly class i've been teaching this weekly class here on the west side of los angeles monday nights for close to 18 years some of you have been coming for a long time Uh, some of you are new obviously and against the streams, of Buddhist center that um, you know one of the core principles of Buddhism is developing friendships, com- community, uh, community, and connection with other people who are also interested in the path of awakening. That's a core. We call it taking refuge in the sangha. Sangha is this term for. Uh, community maybe originally sangha meant the community of enlightened beings but since we don't have any enlightened beings around here we have to settle for each other who are you know people who are at least um, trying to be more enlightened more awake more more free from suffering Um, and so i like to start class by asking you to speak to each other i throw out a little icebreaker topic so, that you at least make some connections when you're here, because there's this dilemma about I come to a Buddhist group to make community and we sit in silent meditation <laughs> and we listen to a talk and then we leave and it's hard to meet each other. So, I would try to facilitate you meeting each other. I, my own feeling is uh, teachers are somewhat important, teachings are somewhat important, the practice is what's most important and part of the practice is relational i mean a huge part of of buddhism is how do we listen to each other how do we speak to each other how do we show up in conflict how do we uh, deal with the anxiety of like oh shit, you're going to make me speak to a stranger i'm not into that i want to came here to shut my eyes and ignore everybody so all of it buddhism is our whole life you know the way that the buddhist path is it's not just meditation it's it's every aspect of our life and so um, my topic for tonight and at home I'll put you in these zoom breakout groups uh, and you get to talk to each other i encourage you i think there's some like a third of you at uh, here in the room you don't have that much choice you can you know like you're stuck talking to each other but on zoom people are just like i'm not joining that fucking breakout room mm-hmm. You can't make me talk to these strangers, um, which is fine. You know, of course, it's choice. Everything is is by choice. But I deeply encourage it. It's an important part of the practice, talking to each other. I don't know exactly what my dharma talk is going to be tonight, but it's going to be something about freedom. It's always something about freedom, freedom from suffering. There's this uh, famous kind of quote uh, where the Buddha says, "I only teach." Freedom from suffering, that's it. Because people were asking the Buddha all kinds of cosmological questions and intellectual and theorist theories and philosophies. And he would say, I just, you know, I don't speak about that stuff. I only teach what creates suffering for us human beings and how we can end suffering. Just the truth of, you know, there's this level of suffering that we all experience, some more than others, sometimes more than other times. But suffering is the first noble truth. And the third noble truth is that it's possible to end suffering in this lifetime through our own efforts through our own actions it's not something that you can study your way to or pray your way to you actually have to meditate and act your way to liberation. So my question for you to speak with each other about the icebreaker. uh, Is how free do you want to be. And so this, you know, so my question is, um, what's your goal? What's your aspiration? How free do you want to be? Do you want to be an enlightened being? You want to be completely and totally free from suffering? Is that part of why you're here? Like, yes, i want to meditate. I want to become a Buddha. I want to be that free. Or are you kind of like, you know, I just uh, I love to diss the guy that wrote the 10% happier. You have you heard about that? There's this meditation app and this book and some, I think it was a news person. And the app's not terrible. There's good meditations on there and everything, but just that, you know, is that your goal? Do you want to just suffer 10% less? like for me 10% less like I still want to kill myself like that I've only got like a 10% improvement from where I came in to the practice to like yeah if you meditate you can have 10% more happiness I'm like that's not enough like I'm still in prison smoking crack not good enough like or smoking crack and then prison or I don't know maybe you can smoke crack in prison I'm not sure but I guess some prisons I'm sure you could So, but you know I know I just set that up as very judgmental but no judgment, some of you. (laughs) Some of you might be like you know what my life's pretty good and if meditation will help me improve it 10% stoked that'd be great 10% increase in happiness 10% decrease in suffering, you know, maybe you only suffer a little bit and you're like 10% that'd be awesome. And so, where are you in between that? You know, are you looking for just a little? You know, like Buddhist meditation became secularized in America like thirty years ago, and they started calling it mindfulness and pretending like it wasn't Buddhism. And um, uh, the, the original sort of secularization of Buddhist meditation was called mindfulness-based stress reduction, and so some of you, have MBSR, some of you are familiar with that. And there was a lot of people who were like yeah if i could just reduce my stress a little bit awesome that's what i want i want to meditate so i have less stress in my life um, i am pretty passionate about like well the buddha gave us these teachings this eightfold path this the possibility uh the encouragement and the model of actually you can get totally free you don't have to just have a little bit less suffering but where are you and 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 the question is, where are you today with your aspiration? Because maybe five years ago when you started meditation or 20 years ago or whenever it was for you, you were like, I want total freedom. And then after a few years, you're like, you know, I've I've decreased my suffering quite a bit. And now I'd settle settle for 10 percent more. (laughs) I don't have the hundred percent freedom aspiration anymore. And the bigger question and maybe it's what we'll discuss tonight what is 100% freedom look like. And it's one of those things like I don't actually know, but I can tell you what I think I don't you know i'm not 100% free so I don't know what that would feel like. I can tell you what the Buddha talked about and what some of my teachers talk about as the goal of liberation of freedom. We'll have a period of meditation i'll offer some instructions find a way first instruction is find a way to sit that feels sustainable a posture that you can establish and maintain not everybody agrees with me but i um i think that one of the um, great benefits of sitting meditation is learning how to be uncomfortable and so um I hope you frame it like that like if you get uncomfortable to see it as oh this is an opportunity to tolerate discomfort to sit with it rather than i'm uncomfortable so i need to escape from it i need to get comfortable um when i was talking earlier about decreasing suffering you know part of the the thing here in buddhism is uh, can you be completely happy and at ease even when you're in pain because pain is inevitable and is uh inescapable ultimately in life so meditation is one of those uncomfortable things we do we're like let's sit in a weird posture and sit still and get uncomfortable and learn to be at ease and at peace and ultimately compassionate towards our own pain because this will lend itself to ending suffering in so many areas of our life if we get good at being uncomfortable and it's hard. I know my early meditation practices, like, I don't, you know, it's hard to meditate because my knees hurt and my back hurts. And I don't know how to tolerate discomfort. I wanna escape it. Um, but it's a central part of sitting meditation from my perspective, learn to be uncomfortable. So when you get uncomfortable, you know, oh, okay, cool, I'm doing it right. And if you're too comfortable, failure, total. <laughs> if you just enjoy it the whole time, you're doing something wrong mostly joking but only mostly so find a way to sit upright relax allow your eyes to be closed take a moment to intentionally release any places of clinging in your body tension in the face the jaw shoulders, belly, sitting in a way that is upright, but also relaxed. As little tension as possible, held physically. And allow your breath to Come and go naturally. Just let your body breathe its own rhythm, whether it's deep or shallow. Relaxing enough so that the body's breathing all by itself. No need to control the body, the breath in any way. Just let the body breathe. And establishing an intention of being kind the intention to be friendly, kind, patient, tolerant, accepting of our experience just as it is, including the pains. From this kind intention, gathering the attention in the body, the first foundation of mindfulness, bringing awareness out of the thinking mind and into the feeling body, the sensations of sitting, disengaging from the thoughts about the past and the future, bring our awareness into the present by feeling what's happening right now. Feel the contact with the chair, the cushion. Feel how the posture is balancing upright. Soften any unnecessary tension in the belly as you exhale. Release your jaw if you can. And then traditionally, we spend a few minutes with mindfulness of the breath. Disengaging from the mind, focusing our attention on the sensation the breath creates. The Buddha's instruction was something like breathing in, know that you're breathing in. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. Mindful awareness of the breath. This is not about stopping the mind from thinking. We're just trying to stop paying attention to what the mind is doing. Imagine letting the thoughts be in the background, like floating off like clouds or something, just not giving them your attention. Give your attention to your body. Give your full attention to the sensations of the breath. And when you get drawn into thinking, Acknowledge it, maybe name it, thinking again, and then return to the breath, disengage from the thought world, come back to the physical reality, this moment, here. be very helpful to bring interest curiosity to the breath itself investigate when does the breath begin where does it end how does it enter and exit the nostrils what happens in the chest and the belly <clears> Thank <throat> you. The Buddha said almost everything we need to know about reality can be learned here in the body. The truth of impermanence revealed with each breath, each sensation. The unsatisfactory nature of all impermanent phenomena revealed here in the body. The more we pay attention, the more we wake up to the impersonal nature, how the body breathes all by itself, the heart beats, the mind thinks. All quite impersonal. We're so often suffering, taking personal things that are just nature, just the impermanent nature of the heart and mind and body. The beginning of this form of meditation it's fine to just use the anchor of the breath just learn to ignore your mind break your addiction to thinking stop obeying the mind see that you can choose to redirect your attention to the body over and over But it's only the initial instruction it's okay to stay there the beginning but the buddha's instructions invite us to become more inclusive mindfulness is inclusive of our whole being opening to the emotions to the thoughts themselves the sense doors what's happening right now, including the thoughts about the future, just being aware, these are thoughts, the mind is thinking, planning, worrying, remembering, reminiscing, resenting, whatever the mind is doing. Perhaps it's tranquil, experiencing joy or love. Bringing awareness to what's happening right now. In the heart, the mind, and the body. Again, if you just drift off in thought, come back to the breath. But if you can be aware you're here observing thoughts, let the thoughts come and go watching them arise and pass, observing, investigating, knowing this is craving in the mind, this is aversion. These thoughts are based in kindness or love. These thoughts are based in anger, resentment, sadness. Trying to bring that kind of Awareness to what your mind is up to right now. First task is to become present here in the body with the emotions and thoughts. What's happening right now? Sounds, images, smells, tastes, sensations, emotions. The next aspect of our practice is to identify. The feeling tone of the thoughts, of the sensations, of the sense doors. What's happening and how does it feel? What is being experienced as pleasant? What is being experienced as unpleasant, painful? How much of the experience in the body or the mind is actually neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant? something unpleasant is arising in the body, discomfort, turn your full direction to it, rather than avoiding it or moving away from it, try to soften any tension around it. Breathing into it, accepting it as it is, investigating the sensation. Is it hot? Is it radiating as it sharp or dull this kind of direct awareness of unpleasant sensation trying to bring as much tolerance and compassion as you can to your own pain likewise if there's difficult emotions or thoughts in the mind Trying to bring compassion to our own painful thoughts. For the last couple of minutes drop the loving kindness phrases into your mind saying to yourself may i learn to be happy just as i am may i learn to be at ease with life just as it is the reality that I experience, may I learn to be at peace with it, to experience ease, well-being. And may I be free from suffering, the unnecessary levels of suffering that we create as we resist our pain, as we cling to pleasure. May I be free from suffering? May I be happy, may I be at ease, may I be free to yourself. And then extending these wishes to the people that you spoke to tonight, the small groups. May you be as free as you want to be, may you accomplish your goals, may you be happy, may you be at ease. Extending this kindness, goodwill to everyone in the Sangha, both in the room and at home on Zoom all over the country. And then outward in all directions to your loved ones, friends, family, extending loving kindness. May you be happy to your children and your parents and your partners, may you be at ease in the midst of the reality that you experience, even when it's painful, may you meet it with ease. Then opening to all living beings in existence. Just as each one of us wishes for happiness, well-being and freedom, universal, all living beings wish to be happy, wish to be at ease, wish to not suffer. each one of us do what needs to be done to free ourselves through our own efforts in this lifetime may all beings find the willingness to develop the wisdom the compassion to experience the happiness and ease and freedom that are possible Any questions about the meditation technique, about how to meditate, how to work with your experience that comes up while you're trying to be present, please. Um, just a little
1: bit about,
0: I I haven't had enough- Sleep and I get my mind to shut up. It's like, pulling things take it off. It's time to go to sleep. I notice that, like, you know, like posture and inch difference in posture can make a big difference. Maybe the matting out of thumbs a little concentration, but make makes a difference. But I, I, what I'm thinking is that, like, when I end most asleep. I'm not falling asleep. Maybe I'm still not applying the right effort. Because that effort should help me from wanting of to doze off if I'm tired. So. I feel like maybe it's not like the like parable of the lute. Maybe it's not
1: like a, it's the wrong quality of
0: that. Yeah. Um little recap, no? I don't know. I don't know if everybody could hear at home, if you could hear the question around um, effort in meditation. And specifically, it sounds like Ramage is talking about drowsiness and working with, you know, kind of... Uh, Finding the kind of effort where we're not dozing off. Um, I've got mixed feelings personally about, uh, as you are aware, um, the Buddha said, you know, there's five things that make meditation and awakening difficult. And he normalized it. He says, you know, if you meditate, you're going to experience drowsiness. It's just, it's one of the hindrances. It's normal. You close your eyes, sometimes you're going to fall asleep. It's it's a normal part of, uh, he said. You know, also the the flip side of that, anxiousness or restlessness, also sometimes. And so, I want to be careful for framing, uh, in any way, that if you're really drowsy, especially at eight o'clock at night after you know a busy day of thinking, like, well, I'm not putting the right kind of effort in, or I'd be more awake. Um, sometimes it's you're just tired. You know, and when it comes to that, what we call sloth and torpor, drowsiness and meditation, it can be quite interesting to try to identify, is this physical? Am I just exhausted? It's been a long day and you did 10,000 pull ups. and (laughs) You know, whatever, you know, I ate some food before class and I'm just like my body is, you know, it's physical which is a little bit different. I think that the Buddha is mostly referring to like a psychological sloth and torpor, you ever had that experience where you're actually feeling quite awake and you're being mindful, but then your mind just sort of like starts shutting off. I've seen it in my own practice where sometimes I'm kind of turning towards my pain or I'm turning towards some uh, difficult emotion. And there's just this, like, oh, this is, you ever been in a fight with somebody? And you're just like, I'm fucking exhausted. Sometimes in meditation, I feel like that just sitting with my own emotions when they're when they're up, when they're difficult. And it's this psychological um, shutdown drowsiness where the mind starts to shut off. I've thought of the the hindrances, which are craving for pleasure, aversion to pain, drowsiness, restlessness and doubt as a little bit like the um, kind of journey in the Wizard of Oz. Where Dorothy and Toto and and her gang are trying to get to liberation, trying to get home, and right before they're at Oz, and you know they they see it and they've fought the wicked witches and the crazy monkeys and right and they they're there and they're I don't I think it's I think this is a archetypal enough story that most people know the Wizard of Oz but uh, they're there in this story, and the last thing before they get to to Oz to the final sort of step. Is the poppy fields and they get knocked out. And I feel like that's just like this archetypal kind of like sometimes you're getting close to the truth and your mind is like, go to sleep. Don't, 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 don't pull the curtain back on the ego's insubstantial nature. Go to sleep. (laughs) Right? Because they're just about to get there and be like, oh, the wizard is just a scared little person right there's 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 actually there's not an all-powerful uh the the that's the ego that's the mind you know that aspect of the mind when you kind of just pull it back and you're like oh man I've been obeying you I've been afraid of you and part of meditation is turning towards it and that part of the mind we call it Mara in Buddhism has the power to sometimes knock you out you know in the phase of, of of awakening so Sometimes I feel like just let yourself fall asleep. Don't be so ambitious about like I'm meditating so I have to be awake the whole time like fuck. <laughs> really need to be awake. It's like oh man, I'm fucking nodding out tonight. This is and then investigating the feeling town of nodding out. If you really just let it become like this feels so good <laughs> to not be fully awake and just nodding out in meditation. like, this is the best. One of my teachers, Ajahn Amara, who I was just recently with, he says, you know, falling asleep during meditation, it's like the poor man's nirvana. <laughs> it's not real nirvana. It's not real freedom. You know, from suffering, but it feels so good. Just like, whoa, whoa. what happened? Oh, bell rang. Oh, that was awesome. That was, that was great. Best meditation. I didn't suffer at all because it was a killer nap. That having been said, so I I tend to lean towards, especially if you're get serious and you're meditating every day and you're doing retreats, just accept like. Drowsiness is going to be a part of it sometimes, hopefully not all of the time. And you'll see phases where uh, sometimes you're quite awake and you're anxious and you, you know, you miss the drowsiness. You're like, fuck, I used to have good naps. Now I'm just here going like, oh, this is I'm anxious. This is my my mind is loud and I'm wide awake to it. There is a couple places. There's this question about um, uh, meditating with your eyes open or closed. So in f- some forms of Buddhism, um, in Zen, Japanese Zen, and I think some of the Korean Zen, they meditate with their eyes open. And some forms of Tibetan Buddhism, Zogchen, got gazing, they they meditate with their eyes open, which is quite interesting. To say like, uh, we want to be mindful of all of the sense doors. So being mindful with your eyes open, meditating with your eyes open, makes sense. But there's a question like, are we supposed to close our eyes, or are we supposed to keep them open? Zen says, like half open. Um, Vipassana, Theravada, and you know, early Buddhism says, close your eyes and meditate. And you know, you close your eyes, you're more likely to get drowsy. It's one of the only places where it's clear that the Buddha intended for us to meditate with our eyes closed because he's asked this question, what do I do about the effort when I'm falling asleep, he says if you're falling asleep during meditation open your eyes. Open your eyes straighten your posture take some deep breaths if you're really falling asleep and you want to find that balanced effort of how to work with it, I don't want to do it right now, but step stand up right there instead of maintaining the like i'm sitting here sleeping and i want to bring some awareness sometimes the right effort is just to stand up for a minute take a deep breath stand up do some standing meditation mindfulness in the traditional form that we're doing uh, four postures sitting meditation standing meditation walking meditation and then there's a reclining a laying down meditation So if the sitting posture, you're just kind of nodding out and you want to bring the antidote, stand, take a deep breath, bring some more oxygen in and then you'll be awake. You won't fall over probably when you're standing up, probably. And then come back to sitting and it'll bring that effort rather than trying to do it internally by tuning the effort. Just do that posture change. I don't know if you've done that much, Ramage, but experiment with that effort of just standing up for a little bit and then coming back to the seat it probably will keep you awake for some of it. so it, it's a great question i'm guilty of both sides sometimes push through stand up stay awake sometimes just let yourself doze off it's okay don't be too ambitious about it if you're going to meditate every day sometimes you're going to fall asleep sometimes you're not Find the time of day that's best for you. I find when I meditate early in the morning, I don't fall asleep. I've gotten a good night's sleep. I wake up, drink some coffee, meditate, I'm awake. After a you know, 12-hour day of busyness and exercising and working and everything in the evening, sit down, might be pretty drowsy because you know I'm ready for a nap. <laughs> so time of day will matter too on when you're meditating. Anything else? Any other questions about the instructions? Yeah,
1: hi, it's my first time here.
0: Welcome, yeah, totally.
1: Um, so I'm someone
0: that tends to intellectualize a lot of things, and I think when it comes to meditation and really being able to let myself feel, I feel advice on how to separate my desire to name exactly what I'm feeling in my body. Oh, like, oh, my muscles are tense, okay, they're tense, okay, my lower back's tense, that's tense too from actually just letting myself feel during the meditation process. I think that's something I'm
1: having trouble
0: with. Yeah. The question is about um, the tendency, I start have to repeat it for the people at home, um, to name and intellectualize and use the mind to kind of track what's happening and what am I supposed to do about it and how to let go of that. Um, you might be able to have some success at disengaging from the mind's tendency to label what's happening, but you also might not be able to. Some, some of that, there might be just an acceptance and, and bringing an awareness to like, oh, look at my mind. Labeling, naming, the you know, oh, tension. Uh, I, oh, I know, what's the answer? The answer is relax so some of your mind is just going to keep doing that. I think this is so important for all of us to understand about buddhist meditation which is like you can't control your mind. <laughs> and it's not about stopping your mind and it's not about controlling your mind. It's about having a wise relationship and to stop believing it and being like oh my mind has this tendency to intellectualize to um label to try to figure out mentally rather than and I hear this instruction be in your body part of your experience of being in your body is knowing what's happening it's even in the instruction breathing in know that you're breathing in. Feeling the sensations in your body know So how do you know, you know, because your mind says that's shoulder pain that's back pain that's the breath coming in that's the breath going out. So I feel like on some level my encouragement is accept your mind's tendency without feeding it, you know, you, you know, like, oh, I don't wanna just, I don't wanna be thinking about this, I wanna be feeling it. The thoughts are inevitable. There's that inner narrator that's just like, okay, I'm breathing in, okay, my shoulder hurts. Oh, I'm thinking about the future. It just, it, more awareness you bring to it, you just see like, oh, wow, there's a part of my mind that just wants to narrate all of my experience. The direct experience is different. And you'll start to see that in meditation there's the direct experience of sensation there in the shoulder and then there's the label pain tension and then there's the should i should relax
1: <laughs> there you know there's
0: the i should i should meet this with compassion okay that's good advice can i meet this pain in my shoulder with compassion not really i hate it <laughs> i want to i i incline my uh, heart towards compassion, but I'm, I don't have it right now. I just have the tension and just accept the tension. Meditation's not stopping our minds. It's changing our relationship to our minds. And you'll find sometimes when you get quite concentrated that your mind will shut off. I don't know if you've had that much, but it happens if you meditate, especially if you go on retreat. There'll be times where you get this like inner tranquility and the mind gets real quiet it's not really the goal. Uh, and I like the way that you're asking the question because the goal is, can I just be in my body? But we're gonna be in our mind, our body with the thoughts there, but can we let them be a little bit more background so that it's not so, I don't know if you related to this, but I heard at some point uh, part of like addiction uh, recovery. You know, one of my teachers said, uh, cause I'm recovering from drug addiction, long, long-term recovery. And he said, you know, I don't think that it's drugs that we get addicted to, I think it's really our mind. Mm-hmm. And that meditation is an intervention with our addiction to our mind. And I was like, oh, that makes, you know, cause you sit here and you say, on some level, tell your mind to shut up, shut up, I'm gonna meditate. And your mind just keeps thinking. And we're so identified with and drawn back into it. And we can disengage come back to the breath disengage come back to the body but the mind keeps going i don't know if any of those reflections were helpful i feel like i lean a little bit more towards accepting that tendency and not taking it too personal i don't know if you've seen this yet but this is for all of us do you know the difference between um volitional and non-volitional thought? in your meditation, when you're sitting here, when you're intent, volitionally, intentionally thinking about something. And it sounds like that's part of the question of like, I intentionally, but then sometimes you're not in, it's not, you're not doing it on purpose. It's just your mind's habit, non volitional thought. I'm just trying to pay attention to my breath and my mind starts planning. I'm just trying to pay attention to my body and my mind starts naming and analyzing and maybe criticizing or doing. And it's like totally not me thinking. And there's even that investigation of like, who, you know, where did that come from? Why? I'm not trying to think about this, but it's what my mind is doing all by itself. So that might be interesting for you in meditation to look at how much of this is intentional. Because from the question itself that we could all have, there's like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to break this habit, but I can't. My mind keeps thinking, keeps analyzing, keeps intellectualizing, keeps. And so then, then there's just that acceptance of like, oh, look at what the mind's doing all by itself. It's not me. I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just happening. It's the conditioned mind. I don't know if any of that was helpful. <laughs> I, hope, I hope it was. I was in, I um, had the opportunity, I was uh, gone for the last three weeks, missed the last three weeks of class. Good to see everybody. Good to be back. Um, and when I was gone, I went and spent some time with a couple of teachers who've been my teachers for the last 30 something years, and um, both of them are monks, Ajahn Amaro and Ajahn Samedo, and I got to uh, spend some time with them and then hear a Dharma talk with Ajahn Samedo. And his Dharma talk was about our personalities, and he talks about this a lot, and it's a core teaching from the Buddha. Um, that a huge part of the liberation that we're seeking is freedom from identification with the I, me, mind, the self-centeredness of the human condition that we all have. Everyone has it. Everyone is self-centered and identified with ourselves, our personality. It's called Sakaya Deity, uh, the personality view the identification with my ego, my opinions, my views, my personality tendencies. And it said that one of the first levels of liberation or freedom from suffering is no longer um, being identified or believing that you are your personality, that you are your ego, that you are uh, this self that we this conditioned self sounds good right it'd be nice to not suffer about our judgments and our uh views and our opinions and always believing our mind and thinking that we're right Mm -hmm. the thing that i love about this talk that i heard and this buddhist perspective that i completely uh believe which is that even that level of liberation, it doesn't get rid of our personality or our mind's tendencies. You can have this insight into like, this is not who I am. It's just my conditioning. This personality is not who I am. This mind tendency, this ego is not who I am. But it doesn't stop the personality and the intellectualizing conditioning we have or the you know what whatever our personality and our our mind tendencies are it doesn't actually get rid of them so it's kind of the good news and the bad news right the bad news is you're never going to get rid of yourself <laughs> you got to right the bad news is we have to live with our neurotic conditioned mind forever even enlightenment doesn't get rid of that personality tendency that we developed in childhood you're stuck with it the good news is you can learn to not believe it that the actual buddhist awakening that we're pointing to is an understanding of like this is conditioned mind tendencies it's not actually who i am this uh, it's not gonna, my personality my uh, it's not that personal weird to say right uh-huh. your your mind tendencies it's your mind but the more you see through it the more you see this is just conditioned phenomena that is not really who i am ultimately you know buddhism talks about the relative truth and it's confusing in this way there's a relative truth of like and we need to interact on the relative we need to walk through this world in the relative with good boundaries right like you don't want to go come from this ultimate place of like oh no self no problem (laughs) like on the relative level of like no good boundaries and like you know important how we speak to each other and how we listen to each other and how we interact and with integrity and kindness on on the relative level and total personal responsibility for how we're showing up total responsibility for how we're showing up and how much how we're speaking and how we're acting so it can be a little bit confusing because on one level um taking a lot of responsibility and being identified with the importance of kindness and compassion and generosity. But the more you pay attention, the more you see even those positive aspects of our uh, wisdom and 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 even maybe your personality will become uh, you know you become identified of like i'm a spiritual person and i'm a generous person and i'm a loving person and i'm a forgiving person, and then you take that on of like well that's who I am. And part of the reason i'm thinking about this is that talk I heard in, in England a couple of weeks ago and then also today I got a call from somebody a brief conversation and. Um, but what they said was, you know, I'm really just trying to figure out who I am. I'm trying to figure out what my true self is. Who, you know, who am I really? What is my true self? I said, this is you know, what a tricky question <laughs> for us in Buddhism. It's a really tricky question because on the relative, like being, and this was a, somebody struggling with addiction and recovery and, And um, I was like, you know, on the relative level, really good to identify as an addict that's trying to recover. That's a healthy identification for you right now. Ultimately, you will wake up to that's not who you really are. (laughs) It's not your true self. You know, there's not a not the addict is not the true self, but it's the relative reality for many of us in this incarnation. Ultimately, it's not who we are. It's not what we are. It's the reaction to the conditions of our life. Because I feel like maybe this is personal to me. I don't know how many of you relate to it. But I feel like when I started practicing this path, I had some, I think, unconscious hope that if I got spiritual enough, I wouldn't have to be me anymore and all of the parts of my own self-hatred and low self-esteem and anger and resentment and blame and shame and all of those difficult aspects of my own mind i felt like if i just get spiritual enough i won't have to experience any of that anymore and and my painful childhood will go away and all of those conditions that led to the suffering that led to the addiction that led to the desperation to get on the meditation cushion that somehow we, it would wipe it all away i could I just get so enlightened and i won't have to have this fucking personality anymore you know i wouldn't have to have this self-centered uh it'll all go away and it hasn't been my experience <laughs> and so i was so grateful to hear uh ajunsameda who's the kind of you know most enlightened being that i know i don't know if he's uh, an arahant but um he's been a monk for i think it's like 60 years and he's 80 something and um and he you know he radiates wisdom and he said you know even after all of these years in robes doing this monastic thing he's like i you know the personality is still there and he's like and when i'm coming from my personality nobody likes me
1: <laughs>
0: i'm not pleasant to be around and but it's still there he's like no matter he's like but when i see seeing through it and i'm not relating from that conditioned ajahn samato personality I'm, and i'm coming from a place of wisdom and love and compassion he's like that then people you know really respond to that because it's not the self that's coming through it's the dharma it's the wisdom that's coming through so i found found it so tricky to give this um, person any good advice about finding the true self because it's it feels like this developmental process that has to happen um there's some western psychologists who've Uh, you know, kind of Buddhist, Western Buddhist psychologists who've said, "Okay, you know, Buddhism is ultimately encouraging us to dismantle the self, to see through the personality, this, you know, uh, ultimate view. To see that there is no self to be found in here. There's just a conditioned mind. There's just a personality tendency. That's ultimately true. But for us, especially those of us who have experienced trauma, and you know, which is pretty much everybody, uh, <laughs> the importance of utilizing the Dharma with the practices like loving and kindness develop actually self esteem, the practices of forgiveness, to develop a healthy, you know, Western psychology, you know, is kind of biased towards developing a healthy sense of self, a, you know, a true self. Know who you are, have good boundaries, love yourself such good advice on the relative level. And so there's, you know, a whole school of Buddhist psychologists that have said, you know, uh, for, for us, we need to first love ourselves, do forgiveness practice and loving kindness practice for the first, you know, five or 10 years of meditation and come into the place of forgiveness and love and compassion. Then you can start to unpack it and dismantle it and that probably there is a such thing as too soon trying to unpack and see through and understand the ultimate reality that none of it is who you are does that make sense it's ultimately true but we have to have the relative um kindness and compassion and and love for this conditioned being that we call me and the more you practice in some so i know some i know you were kind of joking when you said no but it's it also it's fucking confusing what are we talking about here the good thing i think about long-term meditation practice is if you take it seriously i know this was my experience some of the dharma talks i heard and books i read early on i was like i don't get it what is this not self and what is this really we can meet our pain with compassion that sounds impossible i didn't get it but then the more you sit and this is where at some point it's not the intellectual it's not the books it's not the dharma talks it's what happens when you sit what happens when you sit every day and you go on retreats and you start to have the direct experience Of like, oh, I'm I'm actually learning to meet my own pain with some friendliness. Oh, I'm actually starting to see the difference between the volitional and the non-volitional thoughts. I thought that everything that came into my mind was me. I took it all personally and I obeyed all of that bad advice, (laughs) all of the judgments and the fears. And I was just like, yes, sir. Okay. And then after some time in meditation, you start to say, Thanks for sharing, you know, I hear you to your own mind. That's terrible advice. (laughs) This is not wisdom. This is not trustworthy to your own, you know, and there's this unpacking that happens and this discernment that happens. And so it's not about what I say, it's about your own direct experience on the meditation cushion over the years and i just hope that uh you know you all of us uh have that willingness to persevere to the direct experience of the unfolding which is going to include falling asleep sometimes and the inner narrator and the taking it all personal and and eventually coming to this place of wow i'm experiencing more and more freedom more and more compassion less and less identification with my personality as who I actually am. Still have a personality, it's not going anywhere, but I know it's not me. It's not my true self, It's the conditioned personality of this incarnation. So I'll leave it there for tonight. I have a few announcements. Um, First is, against the stream is dependent on your generosity and i'm trying to do this thing and i've been trying to do this thing and successfully doing this thing not just trying for a very long time of having a donation based a a meditation center that doesn't charge anything but that is open and supported hundred percent by the community's generosity and so you get to give as much or as little as you see fit and it's entirely uh up to you how much how generous you are or not everybody's welcome here nobody's turned away Um, but we have a lot of expenses so as generous as you can be to help us support the center and uh, you know after i pay the rent if there's anything left over that to also support me and my livelihood as a teacher so be as generous as you can for the drop in class suggest a donation of 20 25 dollars if you can do that If you can and you feel inspired to become a monthly supporter where you're just saying, like, whether I go to class or I don't go to class, I want to support against the stream. I want this place to be here. And, uh, you know, so you can just say twenty five, fifty hundred dollars a month that just goes to support the center. So please consider doing that if you can and you feel motivated to a couple of practice opportunities. we're going to have a day long in two weeks on uh, the 16th. Is that right? There's a flyer over there. Yep. Um, yeah, and so two weeks, Sunday the 16th, a day of practice where we'll do sitting meditation and walking meditation. Uh, some of it will be in the noble silence where you'll just get to sit and walk and um, then we'll have a lunch break and I'll give some guided meditation, some silent periods of practice. Uh, You can register for that on the website. You can also just show up, but it's helpful if we know if you're going to do it on Zoom, you need to register so that you can get the Zoom link. Um, People can do it at home, but um, come and sit for the locals if you want to spend that day with us and practice on April 16th then at the end of may we have a three-day silent meditation retreat the annual memorial day retreat is open for registration Registration's a little low i i i got a big uh, retreat center hoping that we would get uh, a, a good you know this is a retreat that sometimes used to have over a hundred people at it the last few years this has only been 20 or 30. but if you're planning to come please register um and if you want to come and you can't afford it i'll try to raise some um, uh scholarship funds so that more people can attend if people are not coming because you can't afford it but all of that is on the against the stream website and and please join us if you want to and you can and then um, in the fall there will be another um, practice opportunity so did i get it at all sebastian Mailing
1: list.
0: Mailing list. Hit me up on right now. Sebastian, I'll put you on the mailing list. There's also um, a good way to support the center is the t-shirts and sweatshirts, and we restock some stuff out here. Books. If you want to um, get something that also the proceeds support against the stream, so or if you're at home, you can order that stuff on the website. may any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the buddha's dharma be shared outward in all directions with all living beings in existence may each one of us get as free as possible and together may we create a positive change on this planet i should be around on monday nights for the next couple months hope to see everybody Thanks for tuning into the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.